It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O., Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gatherings of HRIOs, recruiters, and all of us who like to help people in the world of business, including one actor. And Jeremy, good to have you back. This week, we're going to talk about striving to become a thought leader in the workplace. And interesting, I did a little research and I found lots of information about how to become a thought leader, you know, online. If you're an entrepreneur, how to spread the word. But I couldn't find anything out there with like, how do you become a thought leader in the workplace? I was doing a lot of research too. And I started to try to break it down into into the components. And I wasn't exactly to find any specific actual research. I probably could have if I continued to dig and dig and dig. But what I did find were some themes because I broke it. I started to break things down into what can I actually get my hands on in terms of searching. And there's a couple components. One thing is getting over imposter syndrome for a lot of people, because having the ability to speak up, ask, ask good questions and take alternative perspectives and do those kinds of things. Actually, I'm thinking in my mind of the components while I'm giving you the answer for the question. Here are the components, effective listening, good questions, imposter syndrome, arguing for a point you don't support, really taking that alternative perspective, playing devil's advocate, and really even giving some like scenarios and some conversations a chance to play out, understanding that there's going to be passion-led discussions that are involved, and also being able to, when you're thinking about these things, of course, Whatever it may be, especially when you're looking at the workplace, really being able to play out almost like a game of pool, a game of billiards, where you're thinking two, three steps ahead, not only in terms of cause and effect, but also relationships in terms of what might happen to various departments, to various people. And having that voice, it's not the easiest thing to do because a lot of times in organizations, people, it depends on the environment, right? The work environment. 
And do they have the ability to speak up? Will they be listened to? So there's a lot of interesting ways that we can, directions that we can take this today. I'm going to turn it back over to you, Tom. Well, let me just ask you, because if, if you want to be a thought leader and you're working in an organization who is staunchly, well, that's not the way we do it here. Because when I think of thought leaders, they're bringing change to the table. So how do you overcome that? Can you overcome that? Is it time to resign and find a new position? That's a really good question that I think with our audience, we can explore today. My mind goes to a specific example because it is tough. And I think it'll take all of the great minds here to, to look at what do you do when you're in that kind of organization? I'll provide an example. A friend of mine was working within an organization was actually he was teaching. He was doing uh, supervisor stuff, like helping with the supervisors, teaching them. And he was focusing on one of the weekly themes of critical thinking. And at one point, this is true. The senior VP of human resources walked up to him and was upset and said, this is verbatim. We don't need critical thinking here. We need new ways to solve old problems, which in itself, it's just the weirdest statement because isn't a big part of critical thinking, finding new ways to solve old problems. So it's just one of the most mind-blowing comments I've ever heard in my life. And it's burned in my brain. And I can't help but just chuckle a little bit at the odd, odd, it's such an odd question, but I'll leave that in the head for, for everyone and turn it back over to you, Tom, because I think we're going to have an interesting talk today. We have hands popping up already. So Dr. Ariana, let's go to you first. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I love thought leadership. It's very near and dear to my heart. I think that if it's thought leadership happening in the workplace, that means that it's being sort of sponsored by the organization, meaning that they support your allocation of time towards the creation of new materials that could be considered thought leadership. And to me, thought leadership can kind of be defined as content, whether or not it's blogs or white papers or podcasts or webinars that bring helpful and innovative content to the market. So I have had many opportunities myself to engage in thought leadership as a part of my role, um, which sometimes just means allocation of time, but other times resources. And I've seen this go about a number of ways. It can be through the funding of a study where you are wanting to learn more about a topic, whether or not it's transitions and executive succession or new research on ESG in the workplace. Those are some real examples that I've seen. Um, but it can also just be getting together with other consultants and distilling your years of expertise around what are best practices. I'm surprised that there's not accountability models out there, but we've learned a lot about accountability in the workplace. Can we create a model that showcases the expertise that we've learned and publish it out there so that information is available? So those are just some initial thoughts that come to mind to maybe help spur the conversation, but I'm excited to see where this goes. Let me ask you, uh, with your experience, are you finding that there is a willingness for change or are you dealing with a lot of people who are very entrenched in, you know, the post-industrial revolution way of managing people? Well, if I'm being honest, I think that there's a lot of literature on leadership, for example, that already know, we already know a lot about what's needed and there is that gap in what's actually happening. 
Um, but I think a lot of the thought leadership that comes out is actually needed and useful. It's kind of bringing new insight and information to topics that have been a little bit gray in the past. So it's not always about change. It's, uh, sometimes it's just about new awareness, honestly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Ali, let's go to you. <clears throat> you know, I, I find it, it this very fascinating, just like so many of uh, you know the, the buzzwords that have come up these days that uh, quite often the people that I would consider to fit this category would never call themselves a thought leader. And, you know, quite often when I see somebody who puts that as a, you know, a, an unofficial title, I guess, you know, because there are some companies that have thought leader positions. But a lot of times when I see somebody that their headline is they're a thought leader. And then I, I, I read through some of their stuff and I think, well, you should maybe rethink that thought. And, you know, when I when I hear some people that their, you know, their goal is to be a thought leader, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's kind of a putting the cart before the horse in a lot of cases. It's like in order to be an effective thought leader, first you gotta have a good thought. Second, you gotta be able to express that good thought. And and quite often a lot of people who are are just going for the latest thing to be considered a thought leader, they don't quite get the two of those. Uh, and the, or at least the execution is poorly done. And, you know, I have seen lots of people with some fantastic ideas and very humble, would never consider themselves to be anything even remotely like this. And they just go, you know, here's a problem. And they go, I think I have an answer. And, you, you know, and it, and quite often that person is like, well, you know, you've got to drag it out of them a lot of times. And you're like, wow, that's brilliant. That's one of the most awesome things I've ever heard. To me, that's a thought leader. But that person will never call themselves that. And if you tell them that, they're going to get very embarrassed and say, no, nah, it was nothing, you know. Uh, so it's an interesting phenomenon. So would you say that the term thought leadership has been um, hijacked by the marketing department? I think in some in some cases, yes. And, and uh, you know, and I totally agree with what Dr. Ariana said in the chat. I think we would all like to be thought leaders. And uh whether or not we're called that, because I know I would I would like for somebody else to go, oh, that guy's a thought leader. I don't want to consider myself that. I would like someone else to be able to to get value from what I say. And, you know, that'd be awesome. But, you know, there's a little different, you know, I, hopefully my motivations are more pure in that. <laughs> but um, so there we go. Go. Well, we'll see, Lee. <laughs> Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Well, First of all, I think that it's important to remember that a thought leader is the opposite of a thought follower, and we have an awful lot of those. And along with those, I think, comes the challenge of um, seeming lack of independent thinking or critical thinking. So when Dr. Jeremy was giving the example where critical thinking is not appreciated, that to me is absolute lunacy. We don't have enough thinking, much less critical thinking going on in, in this species nowadays. So one would think that that would be encouraged. But I think this, this is kind of um, thought leadership is not very different from any other kind of leadership. First of all, you don't have to be in a leadership position. And if you're a natural leader, whether it's thought leadership or anything else, it naturally comes out. So going back to what Lee said, people calling themselves thought leaders, but they haven't got a thought. It's not an original thought. They don't, they're not an expert in anything and they can't communicate. You're not a thought leader. 
you, this is just your birthday wish and you didn't blow out the candle. Like, what are you talking about? So a real leader does not need to call themselves a leader because it will be apparent to those around them, those who experience them, that they have leadership qualities. So when we're talking about thought leaders, it's the same thing. You have to have an idea and a good one, hopefully an original one, that you can communicate to others, that you can express to others, that you can be passionate about, that you're not afraid to talk about. You're not afraid to um, have a debate about it. So there's so much that goes into this idea. And it's, it's funny to me that people are out there calling themselves this, that, or the other. But if you were to take a survey from those around them, they'll just have blank looks on their faces. What are you talking about, right? Because oftentimes it's the people that call themselves stuff that you, maybe you need to check their credentials before you go with that. Um, but, you know, I know that there are a lot of organizations, whether we're talking culture, whether we're talking uh, those in management who are not interested in this kind of approach to things. And that's a shame. And I know that some are very interested in forward movement, others are not so much. But that's such a shame because if you have someone in your organization who is showing those characteristics where they can influence people and they are able to present um, new ideas and are able to communicate and are critical thinkers, you'd think you'd embrace that power and harness it for your organization's benefit. So why fight it? But that's just one woman's opinion. Well, you also mentioned critical thinking. And are there really ways to improve your critical thinking? I think so. But be careful where you go to get those lessons, because it's often the blind leading the other blind. So I think you can definitely do that. But careful where you look for those uh, lessons. <laughs> Move with caution. Linda Ann, let's go to you. When I started doing the some homework on this, I was I got so excited about this concept. And I did some uh and one of the things that that came up in the definition of it was that you know being a thought leader in the workplace requires expertise, insight, and valuable perspective. And giving that thought, it occurred to me that that's old thought. Right. That's experience. That's that's things you've already done, that you've already said, all those kinds of things. And depending on what your definition of thought leadership really is, to me, just spouting the stuff that you already know or that that you've experienced and you're just communicating experience is not thought leadership to me. And, you know, I um, so the first thing that came to me is what if. And, and this comes from a situation where I can't remember where I heard it, but, you know, they I don't know if it was like at MIT or something. They they gave uh, individuals assignments about creating uh, something propulsion or whatever. And a lot of people instantly go to combustion engines and so forth. And they did not. Right. Because they didn't have the same paradigm of thought. And so for me, my thinking is taking the newest people to your organization and putting them in a room and giving them challenge of without the paradigms and the structures and the harnesses of all what we already know and allow and give them the the uh, criteria, the outcomes that you're looking for, right? And making sure that those are the outcomes that you really want. And 
and putting it to them and seeing what they come up with and guiding them through their critical thought process, right? And think about what that would do in an organization for how they think about the organization, how they, um, what that does to their brains as far as opening it up. And I just was so excited about, um, because this is what I, I used to do this with kids and um, it, and think about when you're dealing with a, a three-year-old, because so much of this thought process is conditioned out of us in our schools and in the structure that we have, you know, children go from school to piano to soccer to whatever, and that free time for critical thinking and problem solving isn't allowed. But if you say to a three-year-old when they've asked you five whys and just reverse it and go, well, why do you think that is? How do you think that happens? The, the magic that comes out of their mouth is amazing. And I think that that to me is how we are thought leaders, is how we get people to think and solve problems without the, the structures that we already know. Do you think, because you kind of mentioned that you know, we all experience a lot of this. And, and I know, you know, especially going through post-secondary, there wasn't any new thoughts, especially in those early years. You're just expected to regurgitate, you know, what you've read from the textbook or heard from the instructor. So do we even have to look at that part of, you know, our world and go, maybe this is a great place to actually get people thinking? I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I love that when you go ahead and ask people, to, when you teach them how to think critically, you know, when when it's not about, think about this. In nature, there is no random thought, right? There's nothing just because. There's purpose to everything. And so when you have people really think on that level, it, it changes the outcomes and changes the way the world looks. Yeah, I think I think there's you, you've hit on something. There's a lot to learn from that. Uh, Jeannie, let's go to you. So I, I, Linda Ann kind of beat me to the punch there, but um, I do feel like a thought leader is not just original thinking from on the part of the leader. It's really encouraging those thoughts from your subordinate or from the people who are following you. And continuous improvement is all about getting the input from the whole team. If you have a specific problem as a team, you're trying to work towards Every voice on the team participates in the process. And a real leader is the one who inspires those thoughts to exist from, um, I would say, not just the new employees, I would say from every employee on the team, because the old employees and the new employees can combine to get new ideas, combine the old with the new. and. Um, really make it work for the environment. Um, there's something to be said. Someone basically told me about a lived experience is different than academic. And, um, you know, you, you live experiences as an employee watching your leaders and you know what not to do, right? And then you get into a leadership role and it's completely different. As a leader, you're responsible um, and it's important as a leader to be able to take that constructive criticism, take those new ideas and implement them. And how productive would that be as your team learns and grows to continue to voice their new ideas and then implement them? 
Yeah, you know, we don't have a lack of ideas. We have a lack of open doors to express those ideas. Uh, Rachel and Maria, we're going to come to you in a second, but Jeremy, I see your hand is up, so let's go to you. Ooh, I get to cut in line, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> I, was, I was willing to wait, but I, I was thank you. I was thinking about your about your original question. What? How do you become a thought leader in the in the workplace and recognize as one? And I thought one of the easiest ways is to think of what you shouldn't do, because that's sometimes easy. You know, what should you not do? Because if you think about it, what do you want people to say? You want people to say, uh, "What does Tom think?" Or I wonder what Tom thinks. That should be the, the one of the first reactions for many things. So what prevents them from doing that? That would be if Tom gets in the weeds uh, all the time, or is always the, no, that that can't happen, or is always jumping into solving people's problems when they don't need a problem solved. It also re it requires not always just be, you know, get doing the busy work and putting out fires all day. It also requires thoughtfully thinking, is this, is this how I want to be seen? Because some people don't, some people do just want to, you know, want to go to work, want to be done. I don't need to worry about the style leader stuff, but I guess if that's the case, they wouldn't be here and wouldn't be listening to the, to the podcast anyway. So think about what would hurt your chances of somebody, of everyone in the organization saying, I wonder what name thinks about it. Yeah, I've always um, appreciated no's because it's an opportunity to go, okay, but if we could, how would we do that? So, <laughs> and those no's are fun. Uh, Rachel, welcome to the stage. Let's go to you. Thanks. So I think what we've all kind of agreed on so far is that, it, you know, a thought leader needs to be, it needs to have unique forward thinking ideas and actually apply them. Um, moving the organization forward in this case of, of, you know, being in the workplace but one thing that we started to kind of talk about or allude to is you need to be in an environment that's psychologically safe enough for you to not only create those ideas, but then apply them. Um, so just throwing that out there for maybe like elaboration, because I know we've talked about psychologically safe workplaces in the past, and that's something that unfortunately is still lacking in many, many organizations. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've, I've seen people punished for having original thoughts. Uh, so it's a, it's a strange world out there. Maria, let's go to you. Uh, yeah, I um, you know, I've learned over the many years being, you know, under certain types of leadership that um, they will either love you or hate your style. Um, I remember I was once being recruited. Um, I was voluntold that I was taking a manager's position and it was under two very different leaders. And one of them you know, trusted me because I had been an administrative assistant to him. The other one very poignantly said, um, you know where you and I are going to have the problem. You used to work for so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so is a visionary and so aren't you. He said, I'm a, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it guy. And I know that we're going to, you know, come head to head. And I said to him, fair enough. I said, you know, I've always been up for a challenge um, and, and I will handle you you know, as, as you expect me to. So I had to change my way of dealing with this particular individual because now he was my direct, one of my direct supervisors and being a physician who only wants to see data. Um, and some people, you know, some things are data oriented, you know, um, and other things are not because people need to be thought of as human beings who have feelings, who, um, who want to be recognized, who 
do a lot of work that is unseen, but without it, it the work doesn't get done and the patient doesn't get into the office. Um, so I had to learn um, to solve a problem from something I was experiencing and then have to present it so that they would see that it was not because I was trying to be a know-it-all, right? It was because it was actually prohibiting something from happening. So in, you know, in operations, you have to really dig into the weeds sometimes, you know, pull out those weeds and then use the, you know, use the um, antidote that's going to make that weed go away. And, um, and that was the only way that I was able to, to really work through um, that struggle of, I don't want you doing more than I need you to do. Well, well let me ask you, were, were you ultimately successful in working with both of those individuals? Um, I actually stepped down from that particular practice about five years later. Ah, okay. <laughs> yes. But how did it go in those five years? Did, was uh, it, it, was, it was it was a struggle. Um, but you know, I it, it was just one of those situations where I, you know, and and again, I have deep respect for these individuals because they gave me the opportunity, right? But I was in a conversation one time, and um, this individual, because we never had the two conversations that needed to happen amongst a leader and this subordinate, would say things to me and. I would say to him respectfully, I appreciate what you're saying, but your perspective is not my reality. And he could never understand that because he didn't want to know. So he would never ask the question. Well, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> he that did get upset. He asked my, my administrative supervisor, he said, why would she ever say that to me? And she poignantly said, I think you need to ask. So I think, <laughs> you know, I think if we think that we can create a better environment for those that we're working with, sometimes not sharing the thought, but creating a solution in a way that's not disrespectful of your leadership is, is likely helpful to somebody. It may not be helpful to that individual, but it may be helpful to someone and it may give somebody else in your team the courage to do the same. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Oh yes, Tom, Jeremy, I, I hear your voice. <laughs> Tom, Lee just put in the chat one of the, the two words that are such a great picture. I don't know if it's a real thing, but you it's so easy to fit. Ostrich leadership. I mean, how can you not understand what that is right away? Just ostrich leadership. It's such a great, it's such a great vision in response to uh, what, what Maria was saying about her, her supervisor. So thanks for that visual, Lee. Make a great logo for a, <laughs> a book on this topic. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see where this conversation has been going. And it strikes me that there's these kind of two um, pathways of thought leadership, both uh, internally and externally. And I feel like I've primarily thought of thought leadership externally, but internally really relates to, you know, psychological safety, freedom of expression, allowing creativity and innovation to be a part of the workplace. Um, but then I feel like my experience with it has been more externally. And I just want to add like a few more value adds for that that I've seen. Um, and I think that leadership used well is a great branding tool, um, especially if you're a consultant or an advisor that you want to draw clients to you. And we have um, an annual report called the PEI at my current organization called LRN, where it's the Program Effectiveness Index. And we generate insights every year on what organizations are doing in the space of ethics and compliance. 
And it's really helped our branding because people can see that we have expertise in these areas. And it's actually our top um, generator of sales leads. And I think that it's similar. I think that we've had like some negative conversation around thought leadership for your personal life, but I also think it works for personal branding. I think you have to be careful on, you know, if you're just trying to spit out fluff to create a persona and image for yourself. But if you can be a thought leader for a cause or a research topic that you're really passionate about and start getting your personal branding, people know, like, I don't know, for me, it's like, I would love to be known as someone who talks about positive psychology in the workplace. Like that's something I'm passionate about over time. That's something I'd love to be, you know, known for. And if people have questions, I'd love to chat about it, that type of thing, because you know, there's kind of this concept that there is no new information, which is debatable because new topics are arising and then there's new research. And I think that sheds light on things. But also, if we can create content that is compelling and resonates and even provides sometimes a framework for people, even if it is just something that you already know, it's not necessarily new. It doesn't mean it can't be helpful and impactful for someone coming across it. Very true. Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, this conversation seems to have a handful of threads kind of going around um, the idea that, you know, the first instinct for thought leadership is somebody who has good thoughts. And we kind of have hinted at the, you know, the influencers on social media and and how those, you know, some are flash in the pan, some have the sustained ideas that they keep going, um, as well as in the workplace, being that person who provides the space for, for good thought, a leader that thinks that thinking is good. Uh, for for want of a better term, um, and just trying to reconcile both of those um, as something that has to be sustained uh, to to qualify as leadership, to my mind at least. You know, you can have a really good idea, and that's great. You know, and sometimes that'll work. You know, the author who has one good book but can never find their follow up. You know, they're they're a bestseller, but are they truly a great writer? Um, so that sort of idea of sustainability of continued, you know. You, even a blind squirrel, you know, finds a nut from, from time to time. Um, but if you can really sustain it and, and make it a priority and be contemplative in how you're going to conduct yourself and expressing your own thoughts and presenting the space for others to do so as well. Do, do we want to be cautious, though, about being perceived as, you know, the smartest person in the room? Sometimes that can be positive and sometimes it can be negative. I think it's less about being smart and more about being credible. And there are situations where if you're the consultant coming in, then absolutely. I'm the smartest one in the room. You paid me to solve your problem and I'm going to solve your problem. But, you know, if we're talking about psychological safety, there's a certain level of vulnerability that can come with that as well. To say, I don't know, can be one of the more powerful tools to let somebody else know I can speak up and maybe I'm going to sound stupid but you know we're going to pick up the pieces and we're going to move forward from that. So it is situational to a degree, um, and understanding your circumstance is part of leadership to begin with. Um, so when it comes to to what are what are your goals, what are your activities, how you want to lead, one that's something you've got to think about before you're in the room. Uh, but then being in the room and, and reading it to say, okay, in this case, I have to step away and let you know the new manager figure out how to step in and, and do the consultation or I'm gonna take charge because there are lives on the line. Well said. Rachel, I see your hand is up again. Uh, let's go back to you. Oh, nope, sorry. I, I mean, I'm happy to opine, but um, I forgot to lower it, apologies. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. 
There we go. Okay. So in thinking about what this, what thought leadership might mean, it to me, it might also mean that as a leader, you help give recognition and airtime and support to effective thought or or important uh, thought from anyone in your team, but you use your position as leader to give it, get it the recognition and momentum that it might need to move forward in the organization. So that it's not just, it doesn't have to come from you all the time. It's just helping it get the um, exposure that it needs to be utilized. Yeah, sometimes you, you know, I think as a leader, you've got to seek out those, you know, as we've talked before, sometimes those quieter people have great ideas. So you can sometimes be the, the leader who brings those thoughts and bring those thought leaders forward. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Well, Linda Ann made such a good point. Um, I wanted to comment on an earlier point um, that Linda Ann brought up is the idea that children, once they get into a school system, they're kind of forced into this following directions, way of thinking, coloring within the lines, don't do anything crazy, nothing too original. You need to learn this stuff and that's where it ends. And I think that to such a degree, that kind of system discourages original thinking and stepping out of bounds and speaking up. So that may result in a lot of employees who have good ideas, who have new ways, innovative ways of solving problems, but they have been so conditioned to be quiet, mind their own business and color within the lines that it will take a a specific leader sometimes to give a voice to those people like what Linda Ann was just saying. So I think that's such an important part of a leader of any kind, whether it's a thought leader or otherwise, is to give a voice to those around him or her so that if they have been conditioned to zip it and just keep their head down and get their work done, think about how many valuable ideas and solutions we may be losing uh, because of it. The other thing that got me thinking was that the idea of a thought leader is not a new one. You think about any period in history, we've had thought leaders, but now it's this buzz phrase because we have all these thought leaders all over social media, which is, I think, why all these people want to be thought leaders and call themselves thought leaders, where in fact, it's nothing more than a phrase to so many people or for so many people in terms of what they do and what influence they have. But really, this is not a new idea. We've had thought leaders throughout all of human history. And I think we would do well to see what made those people, regardless of what period of time it is, so influential and effective because there are commonalities that will be helpful to anybody during any time in history, including today. Very, very true. And sometimes those thought leaders got persecuted. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. And then Dr. Jeremy, we're over to you. You know, as we go through this, I just had the thought that, you know, we, we keep throwing out what thought leader is. And so, you know, being the connected world that we're in, I asked our friends at Google. And so according to dictionary.com, it's a personal organization that is rec- a recognized authority in a particular field and whose innovative ideas influence and guide others. 
because it occurred to me, I never actually looked up the definition. You know, we just hear it and you assume you know what it means. And so I thought that was uh, it's kind of what I thought it was, but it still was kind of interesting. But uh, anyway, to circle back and, I, and I've, so many wonderful people have talked today. I don't remember who said it originally. Um, something that is for personal thought leadership, an important attribute is courage, because truth to power, unpopular ideas, whatever it may be, requires courage. And it is often one of the most difficult things because so many people have some really great ideas that will never see the light of day because they don't have the courage for whatever reason to put it out. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, as far as dealing with other people, somebody said it earlier about psychological safety. And I would add to that trust, because if you want to get those ideas from some very smart and innovative people, they got to trust you enough to tell you. They've got to feel safe enough to tell you that you're not going to take their idea and claim credit for it, that you're not going to just, you know, shoot it down immediately. You're not going to bully them over it. You're not going to, you know, whatever, you know, insert bad thing here. So, you know, those are some some really important factors that sometimes we forget that, you know, it's it's not easy. And uh, to to the, you know, the the point a minute ago about thought leaders in history, you know, you're absolutely right. Some of those guys, it took incredible, incredible courage because some of them were killed for their ideas, uh, you know, well beyond the persecution. So, um, you know, to throw an, you know, an idea out on LinkedIn is a whole different thing than some of the uh, the stuff that's happened in the past. But that can take courage, too, because you're going to get responses. And, uh, you know, that may or may not be positive. And that thick skin is sometimes very important. You're very true. Sometimes it feels like if you want to get persecuted, have an original idea. Uh, Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. I like I like that, Lee. And I, I agree with that. I remember it was one of our momentum sessions recently. Lee, you, you, Lee, I remember you were there. One of our members said that for 2023, it was really being, it was either bold or brave. I think she said bold was what she was going to be for 2003 which is that whole um you know it's being brave and being courageous so for those of you who have your new year's resolutions and you're dead set on making sure you get the whole way 2003 meeting your goal of being bold and courageous that might be something to add because everyone can step into into that a little more uh ariana made a good point early on in terms of maybe we're going down two different paths and I, I haven't pinpointed it, but I'm I'm trying to. And I think one is us, one is being a thought leader, and the other is encouraging thought leadership amongst others. So that might be a way to to break it down a little bit. And a note on that, and Tom, we've talked about this a, a lot. That requires vulnerability if you're going to be a leader and you're going to encourage thought leadership among others because obvious reasons. And it's the whole paradox of power. In order to become powerful, you have to get power away. So along with that comes a great responsibility. Ask, you know, encouraging other to be people to take risks, share their ideas, challenge your ideas. That also requires that once they do so, you don't automatically shoot them down and judge them for what they say. So there's a lot of things that it, leaders have to check themselves at the door with. And Tom, I don't know, do you remember the, uh, it was a VCM event, maybe within the past couple months, it was somebody said, I'm not, I'm not. I don't consider myself a thought leader. I consider myself a futurist. Do you remember? Who, do you remember who it was? I think that might have been Trip. Oh no! 
Oh, I was I was actually thinking we I, I would love for love to have Trip here today. Like he's anyone who hasn't checked out yet, Trip Braden, checked out his LinkedIn profile and his companies. He's amazing. And one last thing here was what Linda Ann, Linda Ann, you've had some great points today. And the thing that I think really, really encompasses everything about thought leadership, you mentioned the word paradigm a couple of times. And I think that's really what it is. It's getting ourselves out of, in psych, we call it, it's our mental set. It's the way it's, that's part of it, which is solving problems in the way that we've tried to solve them in the past. It's a, it's a mental set and it often just keeps us spinning our wheels. I think the other thing is allowing us to have a completely new paradigm and take a new paradigm and, and find out what is the lens that we're seeing things through now. And even simple things like, look, oftentimes for these really tough problems that are encountered, it's a very simple question. Somebody solved it before. Somebody, somebody's had the same problem. They've solved it. Simply saying that can give us a little jolt of momentum, a little jolt of hope, and a little jolt of, well, if somebody else did it, I can do it. So that can help as well with, with strategizing and also with encouragement with other people and also with our own thinking. I really think it's about being able to shift our own perspectives and challenge ourselves in the way that we're thinking about things so that we can continue to get other people thinking forwardly and to keep us thinking in, in one direction, which is it's always forward. Getting people to think sometimes is a challenge, but if we can get them there. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, I was thinking about kind of the, the thought leaders throughout history. Um, I think there is a blessing and a curse in that there are so many tools. Lee said, you know, it's one thing to throw something against the wall on LinkedIn. It's another to, you know, have to go cry in the town square to get that idea out. Um, so I think there's the good thing in that the boundary for entry is so much lower. I mean, any idiot with a microphone can say anything. Um, I don't necessarily want to be seen as any idiot, but the, everybody's got a supercomputer in their pocket and they can get it out there. And so there's more exposure to all of these ideas that are out there um, and whether or not they're credible and do we have the critical thinking to evaluate those is a whole separate thing that I think we have touched on um, with Linda Ann and Dr. Gridrick talking about, you know, the three-year-old and, and my daughter turns three today. So I'm very much going to steal that idea of flipping her question back on her. But that idea of the education, is it is it teaching critical thinking and do we as parents and educators have to kind of put two parallel paths of social norms and conformity along with the, okay, you know the rules and now you have to know when to break them. And I think that is kind of one of those risky areas for thought leadership is that you have to, you have to take a chance. You have to step out of a lane and take a shot and you could step in oncoming traffic or you could very much, you know, be in the fast lane and get things moving. Yeah, you know, in the medieval times, the court jester was often uh, a great thought leader and would say things that were revolutionary and they were often beaten. Uh, so, Linda, let's go to you. I want to reiterate the emphasis Lee has on uh, the courage and how important that is, especially in leadership and your development as um just in growth and going forward. And I think that a lot of people think, well, I need confidence before I can be courageous. And I would propose that it's the opposite way. Confidence is a result of being create of being courageous. The only pitfall you need to be willing to um, step into really um, is that being courageous doesn't always give you the what you would like as a as an outcome, 
but it does give you that gift of growing in um, just self-development and growth. And, and it does ultimately lead to um, a different level of confidence for yourself. And so I think exhibiting courage is a gift to yourself. You know, confidence as an outcome, I think that's a great phrase and something we, we need to get out there a bit more. Uh, Amanda, welcome to the stage. Go ahead. Hey, it's been a while. Um, I just wanted to piggyback off of what Linda Ann was saying and Lee was saying. Um, I'm kind of a resource junkie. So I have got uh, kind of a crew cool resource that I'd like to share with folks that actually focuses on that courage and bravery element um, that is kind of built off of Brene Brown's work. Uh, in the Twin Cities here, there is a group that is known as the Daring Venture Group. It's made of uh, a psychologist, um, in addition to a couple of therapists, um, but they do their work with in-house because again, that goes back to one of our, um, or externally with workforces, because we've had that conversation before that, you know what, there's a difference between IOs and therapists, but therapists and clinicians often go into the workplace from their paradigm, but they have got a really cool um, coffee and courage monthly uh, conversation that is held where it is revolving topics based off of uh, community interest. Um, I just threw some links in the chat real quick for folks, but this is a really good area and resource to kind of refer to as if individuals that you know or yourself that you're looking to kind of build that that courage element in order to be more comfortable with sharing your thoughts. This is just a really great resource to utilize because then you can actually have live interaction like we're having here, but it is once a month, I think over the lunch hour at some point. Well, thank you very much for sharing those links. Um, they look great. Uh, Dr. Martha, we're going to go to you and then Jeremy, I'm going to come over to you and talk about what's coming up. Just a quick thing about uh, what Lee and Linda Ann said about courage, the importance of courage, because certainly you're putting yourself out there and that takes courage. But I want to remind everybody that courage is not the same thing as having no fear. Courage means that you could be scared out of your mind, but you do it anyway. So there's a big difference. And I want to make sure that we highlight that for everybody. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, Jeremy, uh, let's take a look at what's coming up because I know that there's an IO Career Pathfinder peer group meetup, uh, long title. Um, who is that for? And if I'm listening to the podcast and I want to actually get involved in that, what do I need to do? So the peer group, yeah, the peer group meetup, it's a, it's a we, we have an IO Career, IO Career Pathfinder uh, membership. And that's for people that are just starting out in IO or even still in grad school and trying to find your footing, blaze your own path in the IO world and really get an idea of where your career is headed and even get the skills and the interaction, the networking, the upskilling, everything you need to find that job that you want, that dream job, get closer and closer, or even start your own consulting business. So that's our IO Career Pathfinder membership. And the members also, there's a, a peer meetup. So the peers can, can get together, hang out, talk peer to peer. And sometimes they request that one of our CBOC expert members come in to do either a little presentation or share their insights. And that's every third Friday of each month at 12. So yes, that's coming up here tomorrow. Oh my goodness, that's quick. And also Linda, Ann, I'm gonna turn it over to you in, just, in, a, in a couple seconds, cause I would like for you to speak about the leadership summit that you and Deborah Colazzo are putting together. That's, and that's coming up in February. Next week, we have 
improving organizational culture through thought leadership. And I know I mentioned this, I think two weeks ago to everyone, but if you want to see one of the cutest pictures of two wild animals, go to cbock.com slash event and get your ticket for the free podcast recording next week. And then of course, Tom, we've also have uh, our, we have our members momentum sessions, uh, member game time, lots of really interesting things coming up. And before I turn it to Linda Ann, I'll mention if you're a, if if you're if you play a part in your organ in your you if you work within a university and you're a faculty member or you're a director for your IO or applied psych program, if you want to augment that, let CBOC do some of the heavy lifting. Go go to cboc.com and check out where it says four universities. We've have some great ways to partner there. And if you are in a business and you want some help with your business and you want some really, really great minds, either for um coaching for consulting and for project development and execution um, you can check out where it says for businesses linda ann could you share about the new leadership i'm sorry it's the new approach to leadership summit it's on february 22nd at 11 a.m and i'm just going to read the little uh tiny description this hands-on workshop style summit will give participants the space and time to dig deep into their desire to lead Participants will turn ideas into action by developing their own leadership. And then my tech oh, plan, I was going to say my text got cut off. And uh, De uh, Deborah Colazzo and you, Linda Ann, are leading that. So tell us more. Yes, and we were really excited. And uh, it's based on the, the concept that leadership is not a one and done. You don't take a... Uh, a workshop or a seminar and develop your leadership skills. It's a, a process where uh, Deborah's going to do an um, emotional intelligence assessment to and correlate that to how important or how that interfaces with leadership skills. And then we're going to have a little bit on the background of leadership and how did we get here at this point where we need so much training or help in getting effective leaders in the workforce and then have them reflect on what's important to them as a leader. What are the skills that they admire? What are the skills that they value? And reflect on that for themselves. And then from there, start to chart their course for developing those skills and help them understand that this is a progressive process. It can take 10 to 15 years and you can have some skills now and they refine over time, but this is the way for you to start that process. It'll be the workshop. Then we will have a week-long uh, Slack channel for people to interact, ask questions, get support as they develop more of their plan. And then there'll be a follow-up Q&A kind of session um, a week from the, the 22nd. Excellent, Linda Ann. And the there's an early bird uh, pricing special that ends, I think, on February 7th. The the pricing for that, including the Slack channel and the discussion and all of that, plus it's going to be recorded and you'll have access to the recording afterward. It's 149 and the early bird, I think, is 125 and CBOC members get an additional 10% off of uh, either early bird with a combined discount or the regular sign up. Did I get that right, Linda Ann? Hey, look at me. Tom, uh, I'm going to throw it back to you for any final thoughts or questions. Well, I do see we've got a couple of minutes here. So um, I actually want to throw something 
brand new out. There's a really interesting trend I'm noticing up here in Canada. I'd be interested to see if the same thing is happening in the States, but it has to do with the remote workforce. And, and you know, I'm always interested in that. Uh, but I'm noticing an interesting trend here where, and it's probably the same down in the States, where when you look at our downtown cores, this is often where civic governments or state governments or the federal government will often have office complexes. And during, you know, the pandemic and COVID, a lot of those people were working from home. They're now demanding that those employees come back to the office. A lot of them are going to resign because they don't want to come back to the office. But the really interesting trend now is it's the downtown business associations who are getting on media going, we need these people to come back to work. It's affecting our business. Where I'm sitting here going, you know what? They're not coming back to work. And it's time for those downtown organizations to look about how do you restructure the downtowns? Perhaps this is an opportunity for housing. So are we seeing a similar trend down in the States? I can't speak to that. Does anyone live in... I get it. I, I get it because you look at the like the coffee shops, right? The the places where people go to lunch, the you know everything where the, the people who would travel to for those business meetings, so the hotels. So it's really affecting everyone from the corporates to the moms and pops. And I can see why that business association is uh, encouraging that more and more. Does anyone have any insight that can be shared with Tom? I see now? both Rachel and Amanda's hands up. So Rachel, let's go to you. Oh, good, good. And in a word, yes, <laughs> that is something that we're seeing. Um, there, there, Washington D.C., the area that I'm in, that's um, a conversation that they're that they're having. There will be businesses where you know, because especially in the D.C. metro area, where there are other organizations that some jobs just cannot do the nature of their security clearance or whatever, they do need to go back in. So I think the question is not remote or nothing, right? It's never all or nothing. It's how do we make it work? And why are we saying no or yes to something? Um, but I agree that organizations, I mean, we just talked about thought leadership, right? Well, that includes if you're in the restaurant industry or if you're in whatever urban business you're in, you need to continue to keep up with the times and, and um, how things are evolving. And that includes looking to broaden your customer base. Um, there was also a recent I believe it was the Wall Street Journal that discussed this, but there are businesses that have traditionally been, you know, the city fine dining that are moving towards the suburbs and they're tweaking their business model ever so slightly to meet those people that, quote, fled the city and are setting up to now live in the burbs. So there is a little bit of that reverse trend, um, but definitely there are conversations where the urban this, you know, in-city locations or the in-city businesses rather are just asking for a quote return to, well, people used to say normal, I hate that phrase so much, but that return to pre-COVID because they're not trying to make any sort of adjustment. They just want to go back to the way things were. Yeah, it's safer to go back to what you know than to strike up right. something new. But I'm talking exactly. to futurists who are telling me that, you know, with the Industrial Revolution, people moved into the cities. One of the things we're going to see with the electronic revolution that we're in now is that if people are going to be moving from the cities back out into the rural communities. Uh, Amanda yeah, and Nick, yeah. Amanda and Nick, I see your hands up, but unfortunately we're out of time. And Jeremy, I think we have discovered a new topic that we're going to have to put on the list. We certainly have. 
Uh, I'm just going to have to capture it in a sentence <laughs> and remember it. Tom, that's, that's great. That's great. And for Nick and Amanda, if you have any feedback, please uh, send an email to hello at cblock.com and we'll make sure that that gets forwarded over to Tom. Tom, that's a really good question. Okay, now you've got me interested and excited and now I don't want to leave. So all of you, please stay for another hour. We'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone. It's been amazing as always. So it feels so good to have all these great minds together. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.